You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes Deader and I here with always typical Lydia. Today's show, we're going to be doing the 1986 Lovecraftian Gootastic classic. From, classic from Beyond. It is a classic. It is a classic, especially for Lovecraft fans, body horror fans, 80s. What, what would you call it? Prosthetic horror splatter. Splatter. There for all these people and more. There is a home for them in the film from beyond. I'd have to say it's Lovecraftian-ish with an if and not I, Lovecraftian at all. There, <laughs> well, but. I see tentacles. I see like sea urchins with sharp teeth. So I'm just like, yeah, I get it. When it comes to Lovecraft, what I've always drawn from it isn't so much with the alien and amphibious underwater vistas mm-hmm. or tentacles. Mm-hmm. It's more like stories of obsession, stories of isolation, desolation, mm-hmm. curiosities, oddities, bad bloodlines. You know, that's always been more of a Lovecraftian thing. I've seen people write Lovecraftian stories and be rejected for Lovecraftian anthologies because it's like, well, where's the tentacles? Mm-hmm. Where's your mind opening to space and beyond? And it's mm-hmm. like, well, it's not always... That's not always Lovecraft. This story kind of loses any real vestiges of Lovecraft when you meet Pretorius again. Basically, that's when it stops being a Lovecraft story, Mm -hmm. in my mind, when Mm -hmm. I'm watching it. Not that it's any less enjoyable, though, Mm -hmm. because it is. It does have all those things, like you said, and more for any fan of almost any style of horror movie. So when people have success in the industry, Lydia, Mm -hmm. when they have success and they have a big old box office bonanza on their hands and they kind of do it apropos of nothing and they kind of do it and they fly in the face of other people while they do it and it pans out sometimes these things do not pan out but in the case of reanimator Mm -hmm. which we've done previously in the show it panned out and they made a lot of money and the critics loved it i'd have to say it's not apropos of nothing it was apropos of poe because there was adaptations of Poe stories mm-hmm. being very, very popular. Mm-hmm. So why not try to do the same thing with Lovecraft? Mm-hmm. Well, it is true that much like the 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 Poe series of films that existed, um, and they had restarted and stopped those a couple of times throughout the last mm, 80 years of filming. But when it comes but the idea, yes. And if you talk to the dudes that were making the reanimator, they had this idea of Sure, we'll we'll do a Lovecraft and then whatever at, at the bottom of it. H.P. Lovecraft's The Reanimator. H.P. Lovecraft's From Beyond. And we this kind of fizzled out after that, unfortunately. But this was one of those things in Hollywood where, yeah, we all did it together. We're all going to do it again. We're going to take all of our, our actor friends. We're going to take our sound guys and our gaffer people and we're gonna take we're gonna we're gonna move them all over shift them one to the left we're making another movie now now we have more money we have more fanfare and now we have even more say which is funny to think because 
honestly, re what Reanimator's strength is, is the final product is precisely became exactly what they want. Like they released the movie they wanted to, to, to release. Yeah. And they did it without a rating. And that's ballsy because typically speaking, when people are starting out or not even just starting out, but when people don't really have any clout, when they don't have financial success, and that's what I mean by clout, when yeah. you don't have dollars to back up your ideas, the people are really cautious. Eh, that's, that's too much. Let's appeal to a wide as audience as possible. We bump down the ratings. Well, that's going to get an X rating. We need an R rating. Uh, R rating, maybe PG-14, PG-13. Those didn't really exist in those days, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is, again, an example of, of, of the people who did this were successful and then were able to do it one more again, one more time. And this time, people standing out of their way and letting them do that. Regardless of what sort of audience they would be hoping to attract at the time. Because they would just, I mean, honestly, back in those days, sequels are such a, not sequels, this is, that's incorrect because this is not a sequel. Mm -hmm. But this idea of we'll do it one more time and try to get a, a, a box office that like typically in those days, you weren't really even expecting a massive return off of that. Yeah, because that's not really the goal. No. To they, double your money. No, but they, you were just kind of hoping for similar success. If we made a similar kind of movie and had the same actors in it and had the same brains behind it, they could at least get us another chunk of cash like Reanimator. And this time with the right people invested more people will line their pockets as opposed to people who missed that reanimator boat as it passed them. And it does give fans and everyone more of what they want because it doesn't only share a cast, it doesn't only share uh, similar source material in H.P. Lovecraft. It shares a lot of the same feelings. It is another like body horror. It is maybe not as slapsticky at all or off the wall it's very it's far more serious it's a lot more serious but it has the same sort of really ooey gooey effects absolutely yeah a lot of more of what you had come to reanimator getting you get out of from beyond and maybe even more because it's a little more sophisticated of a story maybe not um 100 medically accurate like human centipede okay but this has a lot more where you can sit back and sort of imagine how this is semi-accurate where reanimator is just silly mm. yeah totally silly mm. this has some basis in medical fact and medical research yeah you had you had told me a little bit well we a, a movie that we had watched previously before this i was harping on pretty badly for continuity errors and minor things very minor things whereas this has complete one like factual errors complete yeah. factual errors uh medically speaking and and it's so much goofier yet i gave it a pass and you had pointed out that the reason why i'm giving it a pass that at no point that when we turned on from beyond did it ever tell me that i had to take this seriously in fact it it like the colors the the acting choices by you know you have like a funny neighbor you have like a weird little dog and bunny you, summers you mean bunny summers i do mean the actress bunny summers who played the neighbor lady in this film i love her i do she's like a, a perfect neighbor lady like a scared white woman in a rap video just trying to get those kids to turn down that damn music 
it's all very carnival though yeah. from the get go mm -hmm. without being in your face funny or mm -hmm. slapsticky or humorous mm -hmm. it's like you said the colors and the characters and the way that things are acted and the facial expressions and gestures mm -hmm. it is all very very carnival mm -hmm. and if you were coming into this wanting some classic 80s horror that's not a slasher movie and you liked reanimator like holy fuck are you gonna like this now the good news is is for anybody watching this nowadays is we get the the fully uncut not messed with version whatsoever because even though that the reanimator people had this big success and released the the reanimator the, the way that they wanted to from beyond unfortunately big when there's more money involved and there's more uh, hands involved that type of shit will not fly. There's and, more, yeah, decision makers saying cut this and cut that mm -hmm, to get mm -hmm. it into this theater or this yeah. demographic or this country. Yeah. Believe it or not, it was a lot of the S&M content that got snipped as opposed to... There's not really a lot of S&M content. S&M looking stuff, yeah. but not S&M content. Well, still, a little too much. A little too much for young eyes or... Puritan eyes. I don't really. Puritan eyes. I don't really know. Yeah, because there isn't really any S and M content necessarily. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this much: that was what was cut. Really, eh? Stuff like that. Yeah, not a melted sexual, out rib cage dude. Nope. So, uh, some sexual, uh, sexual situations. Some, some of the more sexualized content, which again is put to the forefront in this movie. That's definitely something that like they are putting out there. Doctor Pretorius is a fucking. Hound, man. It's a sex machine, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, the machine has no edges, so it's kind of... Oh, sorry, a sex sack to me. A sex sack yeah. by the end. Yeah. <laughs> and even at the beginning, when he's wearing his, like, silk kimono and everything, he's, like, sexy. <laughs> well, I, I don't find one fucking hair on his head sexy or on his shoulders, but... <laughs> he's got a very, very bushy shoulders, I gotta say. It certainly does. Uh, there's absolutely not one thing about this man that is sexy to me, but I, I suppose those people who think, like, Tom Selleck is sexy, like this whole mm -hmm. Magnum P.I., that sort of look, if people find that attractive. Mm -hmm. You get to see his bum. I didn't really notice. I did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was fully nude, but I didn't, like, look at his bum. I knew he was fully nude. That's kind of a weird disconnect, eh? Someone is, ex is it full, like, not frontal nudity, what do you call that? Like, distal nudity or whatever? Mm -hmm. Backle nudity. <laughs> And I didn't even notice his butt. Weird. Um, yeah, he's hilariously not attractive to me. And the only like real sexual content I can think of is some breasts and some suggestion of touching genitalia. Mm -hmm. So that's that's wild to me. What would have been cut? I don't know, but I can tell you this much: we don't have to worry about that nonsense because I don't deal with cut movies around here. You do when you have to. Yeah, I know, and I hate it. It drives me crazy. I get really angry. And then I go on Amazon the next day and buy a very expensive copy of Sleepaway Camp. I remember the first time I watched this, I was put off by the sexuality, not because of the sexuality inherent, because I don't have any problem with sexuality. It was the sexuality linked to the works of H.P. Lovecraft, and a lot of fans do have that problem. Um, elaborate, because I don't understand. Well, I'm not going to elaborate that much, because I'm no fucking expert. You'd want to talk to Sean Moreland at the University of Ottawa if you want an expert on Lovecraft, because he's very much my Poe and Lovecraft academic, mm -hmm. for sure. 
another person who's a huge fan is of course Chris from Bind Torture Cast. He's probably given this a lot more deeper thought than I have. And he's seen a lot more of the Lovecraft adaptations for sure. Probably all of them. But if in reading Lovecraft you will notice that he really doesn't talk much about sex. Uh, the only real suggestion of, of sexual intercourse ends in horrible inbreeding and monstrous people being born. So that's not, you know, a good thing. He gave the air of somebody who was 100% entirely asexual. And I kind of appreciate that because it's nice to read and watch horror where it's not. People aren't going to the horror for sex. Now, of course, lately I read a couple articles where his wife was interviewed and apparently their sex life was 100% normal. It was satisfactory in her words. So it's not like he was completely repulsed by the idea of sex. It just didn't work its way into his fiction. And when it did, it was a repulsive thing. So having so much sexual content within what? Like after the 10 minute mark is where a purist would say it stops being a Lovecraft story entirely because of those sorts of elements. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't really the goal of the original story. It had nothing to do with like the ultimate sensual pleasure at all. Sensual pleasure. Yeah. So it is an entirely different goal. An entirely different goal. Because so this movie starts off with an experiment. And we're not really privy to a lot of the details, only the fact that our old boy uh, Crawford played by is Jeffrey Coombs. And this time, not the, well, the obsessive Dr. West, but now Crawford, who is an assistant to Dr. Pretorius. I was wondering if the name Pretorius came from the literature, but it didn't. Um, and then I was wondering if it was from, if, if it was just, oh, that was the doctor from Bride of Frankenstein. So I was wondering if they lifted the name from that. In either case, it doesn't really matter. Although he does kind of look like Dr. Pretorius from the Bride of Frankenstein. If that Dr. Pretorius was wearing silk pajamas with his chest just billowing out, making me question my own manhood because my chest hair is not as full and thick and lustrous and curly as that dude's. And thank God for that, because I don't know if you could wear a shirt properly. Maybe not. It would, like, puff an inch away from your skin and everything. I might feel compelled to not ever button the top five buttons from any shirt that I was wearing. And if I had a t-shirt, I would probably cut very deep v-necks into all of them. Yikes. <laughs> How do you keep your gold chain from getting tangled in your chest hair? I've always wondered. Um... The uh, mustache oil that I have, I, I just dunk the whole thing in that so oh, it okay. stays really, really slick. Oh, okay, that makes sense. That makes perfect sense now. That's Thank why you, you can start calling me slick again. Oh, good. I'm so glad that I can start calling you slick again. <laughs> you just made my day. Now, this is where we are introduced to a couple of characters, uh, Crawford, Dr. Pretorius, the neighbor lady, who goes into the house looking for her dog after she had called the police about a lot of technicolor shit going on. And we see that um, Crawford is having a face-to-face -face with something that kind of looks like a sea creature, an eel, almost, let's call it, uh, a moray eel. It, it looks, or, or if you could imagine, like, some kind of a creature that would live very, like, a... a Mariana's trench type creature like that really is deep and is bioluminescent. It's like a hagfish, and oddly enough, according to Wikipedia, 
A hagfish is one of the few vertebrate creatures that don't have a pineal gland. Hmm. It's a nice choice. I know in the story they do mention like these slithering creatures and things like that, almost things that would be like ocean creatures and like jellyfish and gelatinous type things and other indescribable creatures that are around us all the time that the resonator allows us to see. Yeah. Um, so of course that's where those choices came from, but it's just a neat science fact when they're using quite literally an eel that these hagfish and lampreys don't have a pineal gland. It's just neat to me. Mm. I didn't know I was doing the show with fucking Jacques Cousteau over here. Yeah, but that is the basis of this experiment. We find out that this resonator, it doesn't really do anything but allow us to see things that are already there, if that's correct. Basically, yeah. And that's where at first it doesn't really differ too much from the story. Later on, you've got the sexy Pretorius making it out that this is just a love shack. This is the the Hell House version experiment. He just wants everyone's sexy time. Uh, Mind-melding is the ultimate sexual pleasure is basically what he's getting at. But in the story and in the beginning, the basis and where Crawford Tillinghast, I think, is why the reasons why he's involved. Um, What the resonator is supposed to do. Tillinghast, who is the main person in the original story, explains it with, within 24 hours, that machine near the table will generate waves acting on unrecognized sense organs that exist in us at atrophied or rudimentary vestiges. These waves will open us up to many vistas, unknown to man and several unknown to anything we consider organic life. We shall see that at which dogs howl in the dark and that at which cats prick up their ears after midnight. We shall see these things and other things which no breathing creature has yet seen. We shall overleap time, space, and dimensions, and without bodily motion, peer to the bottom of creation. Or the Marianas Trench, as you said. So that's basically the point of it, is to see these unseen things that are sensed by some other creatures, but not seen. So the point at the beginning sort of seems in line with the book. Mm. Of course, that sort of thing would drive you mad. And it does drive the narrator of the story mad because he has to deal with Tillinghast turning on the resonator in front of him. He sees these creatures a lot like what we see at the beginning, what attacks Tillinghast, our Tillinghast for the film. By the end of the story, the narrator is driven mad because that's what this machine ultimately basically does. So that's what seeing these creatures will do, right? And that's basically where we start out the first 10 minutes of this film. Tillinghast has seen these creatures, got bit in the cheek. Uh-huh. Bit in the cheek, Wes. And then they dragged him off to an insane asylum. They did. Not before old Pretorius had his head nommed clean off. Like a gingerbread man. Or a ginger dead man. <laughs> uh... Which is probably where like Charles Band and all of them got the Ginger Dead Man thing, seeing as this is a band property. Not really, but they produced it, so. Now, this is where we encounter the rest of our lovable gang of idiots, I suppose. We have um, uh, Dr. McMichaels, who is working at the institution, like a brought in an expert. She's known as the Girl Wonder, or Superwoman, or something like that. Girl Wonder, that's what it was. Yeah, that's what the other doctor keeps calling her. Yeah, derisively, I feel. Oh, very much But so. she definitely seems to be one of these people that comes in as an expert, diagnoses patients, and, and has a lot of experimental or new ideas about psychology and, and dealing with people who have mental illness. And she's also really intuitive, and she's also not into just sticking them into chemical or otherwise restraints and just letting them rot away in an, in, in an asylum. Mm-hmm. 
the reason for that she gets into later on that her father had also been schizophrenic. Mm-hmm. They performed. Uh, they did everything that they could possibly think of. Lobotomies, electroshock. Yeah, and it basically left him as a vegetable, and he died in an institution. So she is about rehabilitation, making people better, and allowing them to leave these asylums as opposed to just like you said, stick him in a corner, drug him up, and they'll just sit there. The very first time I watched this, I was like, I was just waiting for the reveal where she was going to be one of Pretorius's old girlfriends. I totally was always waiting for that. Really? Yeah. It never crossed my mind. But maybe, well. I think I just wanted it to be like Frank and What's-Her-Face from Hellraiser. <laughs> I totally <laughs> did. Yeah, where they're working in cahoots. Yeah. <laughs> um... She did seem awfully interested in what this was doing to the human mind, though. She definitely seemed very interested. And what she wanted to do was go back to the house where all of this happened and at least see the machine and to either prove or disprove what Crawford was saying. Yeah, have right? him go through what he'd seen that night mm-hmm. to see what had what they what they had actually seen. Would you call that like exposure therapy? Is that what that is? Basically, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, in a way, yeah. Okay. But they're not going to, this person, they, I guess they suspect him of killing Dr. Pretorius, although they don't, I mean, they don't really know that he would have done with the head. It's just gone. Yeah, it's a, it's a puzzle for them because there's no real blood anywhere. There's no blood on him. There's no blood on the axe, no blood on anything. That's um, the story, like the written short story ends with someone being charged, but then subsequently let go very quickly for killing Tillinghast because Tillinghast is dead. The guy had a gun in his hand. But what he had done is shot the resonator to turn it off. Mm-hmm. And Tillinghast had died of a cerebral hemorrhage. Mm-hmm. So it was the same sort of thing. Like, well, there's a dead guy and you're gone crazy and you're screaming about lampreys and stuff and alien vistas and things mm-hmm. that are unnameable, undescribable and unknowable by the human mind. But you didn't kill the guy. So it's yeah. a puzzle. Mm-hmm. So in order to uh, handle this or to have someone go with them, they're bringing a, a police officer with them to sort of make sure everything's on the level. This took a little bit of convincing, not to get the police officer, but obviously McMichaels needed to convince uh, Crawford to go back because he really had no interest in going back. But the the choice is you either stay in this asylum or you go into her custody and you go back to the house. So, as he even says, it's not much of a choice. Yeah, that's true, unfortunately. And I guess we know when he's sitting in the asylum and he just wants the machine destroyed, he's like, well, I guess if I have to go with her to the machine, then maybe I could destroy it. Police officer Bubba is uh, Ken Foray, who um, I, I was like, oh, it's a cat from Dawn, uh, Dawn of the Dead, who I really liked in that movie. But also... Uh, Devil's Rejects. Which is where I would recognize him from more readily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, th- th- this is a dude that has a pretty big career in horror. I mean, he's it, like he's been in a bunch of stuff. And obviously, though, right there, those are like three really big movies. Really big horror movies. Yeah. That a lot of people would know and recognize him from. I like him a lot in this. Oh, he's fantastic. So it doesn't take them long to get to the place, and really, the resonator is not exactly a complicated... Look, I'm sure... Oh, it's completely complicated. You see all those computers and lights and flashes and bobs and switches and buttons, like, everything. The whole There's a whole, like, wall and then another wall. It's like a wraparound couch of metal and lights. I was going to say, 
it's probably very complicated to build. There's a lot of flickering lights and tuning forks, tuning forks and control panels and everything. But ultimately, it comes down to one thing. It's got a toggle. And if you turn the toggle on, everything gets purple or lavender. And then you can see these creatures. When the field is activated, it's important, though. And this is said about 10 times. Not to move. The thing is, is these creatures that float around us at all times can't don't acknowledge us any more than we it's like a it's like a hellblazer thing where the second you cross over and are touched by darkness then you can see the the demonic world and all these spooky things but then in turn the trade-off is they can see you now and they know that you see them and so you will be tormented by them this is not exactly the same thing although not dissimilar it's these things can see you if and if you can see them, the field is activated, and you move within the field, your vibrations will draw them to you. And one of the things that you need to know about these creatures is they're fucking dangerous. Yeah, they will bite you first. Yeah, they're <laughs> yeah. very bitey. And, and even the little ones. Yeah, little the little scamps, ones. Little, even the little tiny jellyfish, which I thought were like, well, I guess if you stay away from their stinging little tendrils or whatever. But they have mouths in their butts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> they do have they do have miles on their butts. Now, the second that this field gets activated, things get a little sexy. Which is kind of weird to me because the it's supposed to be activating the pineal gland. Mm-hmm. It's normally when the pineal gland is underactive that you get problems with distinguishing day from night, which they sort of mix with a little bit in this film. They're saying that they're tired, and it looks like about 2 in the afternoon, so I'm like, oh, they're mixing up day for night. Oh, look at them go. They're messed up pineal glands, even though they probably weren't really trying to do that in the movie. I was just hoping they would. But um, an underactive pineal gland would be what would be boosting your sexuality. An overactive pineal gland would probably have the opposite effect. I'm no doctor. Mm-hmm. I'm no endocrinologist. Right. And I never would want to be because that sounds like the boring as hell life. But I think that that's just backwards. Mm-hmm. But I guess, you know what? We're horror fans, so who cares? Yeah, I guess. It is uh, pretty glaring when you think about it. But this basically, you know, we got McMichaels here. And we got, oh shit, we got Crawford. And they're giving each other sexy eyes. Giving each other sexy, sexy eyes. eyes. And then you got. Uh, you got old Bubba over there. He's a powerful black man. Just take... He does not give a fuck about the sexy look. It's weird. He's like jellyfish. <clears throat> it's weird because he does seem kind of immune to the sex vibe. Yeah. And and I and I was just like, come on, it get a little sexy in here. Everyone just gets a little sexy. You're distracted by these, I mean, the obviously <laughs> these otherworldly things that you're actually meant to look at, whereas these two can't keep their fucking eyes each other off each other like a couple of horny teenagers. And he goes out to reach for them. I mean, I can't, I guess if someone tells you not to move and then you actually see these extra dimensional jellyfish. It's like the first time that you're at an IMAX 3D show and yeah. the turtle floats over <laughs> you and you're like, reach out because you can't not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't help but be a little bit disappointed by their distracting, distraction, their sexual distraction. I couldn't help but think that none of this would happen to Herbert West. He would just like he would not give a shit. Yeah. Yeah. 
He would capture. He would be ready to capture one of those jellyfish. Yeah, exactly. No, no, not this. Not Jeffrey Coombs is playing a very different character this time. Mm-hmm. So he's super sexually charged, looking at the good doctor. When the stupid machine is on. Yep. No one's listening, and everyone's moving, and and uh, Bubba gets bit by one of those fucking things, yeah. instantaneously. And from the get go, they are saying, "Okay, well, we did the experiment. It works." Crawford can't be crazy because we turned the machine on and saw crazy creatures, like he said. We literally all saw the exact same thing. Therefore, Crawford's not crazy. This machine works. We out. We know what happened to Pretorius. But one of the things that happens is they leave the machine on just a little too long. And then they see their old boy, Pretorius, showing up. He's gooey. He's naked. He's hairy. And he just wants you to touch him disgusting filthy unclean yeah he seems to have the uh, the consistency of warm silly putty though because when Crawford puts his hands on him he just gets like a little indent in there I feel like if you were to pull his flesh out and put it down in a newspaper it would copy the Sunday morning funnies. Like silly putty, yeah. He's a lot like Play-Doh. He probably smells <laughs> like Play-Doh, too. I love the smell of Play-Doh. I don't know exactly what that smell is. Um, Getting distracted. <laughs> sort of like the walls in Repulsion, when she's at the height of her mania, when she reaches out to touch the walls and they're made of clay. So it's a lot like that. His hand does just sink into him. But <laughs> Pretorius is a funny guy. He's not. He's like, oh, that, that freaks you out? Check on my face. And yeah. he pulls all the skin off his face. Pulls the skin off of his face. And then you realize that, okay, so... Dr. Pretorius's mind, or at least a version, the obsessed version of his mind, has survived having its head eaten by this creature. But this creature, whatever it is, has... I mean, it's not like the thing where where it's... Where it's it's not like living in a host. No, yeah. no, no, no. But it's I, creating... Yeah, it's... Pretorius even says, like, it's just a body. It's just a body. Yeah. Yeah. It's given his mind form. His mind exists in this otherworldly, otherworldly dimension now. Mm-hmm. And this, for lack of a better term, is just a ooey-gooey, squishy, fun-time avatar. Not unlike our actual bodies. Yeah. So when shit gets a little real, because, like, tentacles and goo and shit just starts fucking erupting from this dude that is quickly degenerating into something that does not qualify as human, doesn't qualify as anything. It looks kind of just like a bunch of wet tubes. Yeah, he kind of goes from, like, dude, and then he kind of, like, fast-forwards through, like, Toxic Avenger kind of look (laughs) into, yeah, like a a mass of goo. Yeah. Pink matter. Yeah. And they turn off the machine, and that scares... Bubba, that scares Crawford, but for some reason, Dr. McMichaels is, we have to do the experiment again. We have to do it again because we need to check our data. It's so weird. She's caught that obsession, and that's the the nut of so many Lovecraft stories, the great ones and the ones I love so much, is when somebody catches that bug of obsession, especially with some sort of scientific experiment they little know nothing about and don't understand the effects of, and that's more a part of why they become so obsessed, because they're like, I don't understand what this does. I must do it again. <laughs> yeah, I do. I really love that. Mm-hmm. 
like Bubba is the most against it, the absolute most against it, where he thinks it's crazy. I mean, you're kind of dealing with a guy that's he's not a scientist. He's not a doctor. He's just a cop. He was here to make sure that everyone is safe and everyone is safe and to remain safe. We need to go. It's weird because it's like he's like, we're all going to rest and then we're all going to we're out of here tomorrow. My attitude is like, it's not where the fuck are you guys? He's just compromising because he's like, we need to leave. And she's like, we need to rest and we'll experiment again. He's like, "Okay, we'll rest, but then we'll leave. Yeah, it's weird because because the, the way that they're talking at some instances, you'd think that this house is in the middle of fucking nowhere. It's on the edge of suburbia. Like, it's not, it's, you know what I'm saying? Like, they could easily, right then and there, get in their cars and drive exactly where they need to go. They probably, they're probably like a 30-minute commute from their office or their hospital, right? And there's neighbors flanking them on all sides. Yeah, like, like, throw a rocket, you could hit the house. It's not like this place is in the middle of fucking nowhere. So it doesn't really make sense to me because a lot of times, like, they're going to, like, an isolated place where, you know, it took them days to get here and and we're we're 50 miles from the nearest house. Like and the Belasco Mansion. Yeah, which I exactly. Keep, I wouldn't usually relate 666 Benevolence Street <laughs> to the Belasco Mansion at all in the stories, in mm-hmm. the book and the short story at all. But in the films... Sort of what Pretorius is going for is sort of what Belasco is going for, mm-hmm. in a way. In a way. Yeah. I mean, whereas Belasco was like a mannequin behind a mirror, uh, I feel like this this guy is um, just like an ooey-gooey medical mess. Now, uh, in another dimension, now uh, Dr. McMichael's in the middle of uh, the afternoon or whatever the fuck she's sleeping. It's hard to tell. She, when everyone else is asleep, she decides to activate the machine one more time. Not without a sexy little scene where she's stroking all of its little forks and looking mm-hmm. at it just so. Now yeah. We know a little bit about Pretorius already, that he uh, is into some uh, kinky sex. Some people seem to like to kink shame around here, but not me and not you, Lydia. No, yeah. We think, like, when I was looking at that, I was like, eh, this looks like two consenting adults enjoying each other's company. But uh, Crawford seems to 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 really say that what the like this type of behavior is definitely not sex and harmful and it, it's only pain and therefore it can't be pleasure it's weird it's, yeah it, there's it, nothing about any of the snm content and this <clears throat> looks bad whatsoever at all at all it's only that line where he's like they he would have these beautiful women over they would eat a fine meal eat fine wine and listen to great music and then it would end in screaming always yeah. screaming and it's like, whoa. Yeah. That... You would think that, like, he was... Are you jealous? Or it, it seemed to me like he... His impression... The, the, that monologue implies that Dr. Pretoria somehow tricked these women into being here and they were being held and restrained against their will. And he was harming them past the point that they wanted to... Which is what I think a lot of people, unfortunately, see when they see an S&M relationship, especially a master-slave relationship. Uh, dom-sub relationship. They look at that and see, oh, there's this big guy who has this girl on a leash. She's obviously being victimized. Which I was so glad when we did Necromantia, where there was uh, a male dom doing things on a willing, paying female. Um, Putting that sort of warped general public attitude on its head, where it should be. Hung by its feet. And spanked. Mm. As things get spicy around here, we go back to our plot. Now, 
where things get spicy again. They do get basically. spicy because we we uh, once the place is activated, uh, Doctor Pretorius is there just hanging out. Makes me ask you this. Let me ask you this because I've been curious. I've been thinking about this for mm, I want to say about two hours now. Okay. What do you think Doctor Pretorius is doing when people can't see him? Because we know that the little creatures are just sort of floating around. Imagine, if you will, the same thing that, I guess, sea creatures do. What, yeah. the, what the fuck are they doing way down there? They hunt for food yeah. and the mate and they, like, go up to the light and away from the light. I don't know. But, like, but, but like that dude is literally just standing in the attic. In the book, they, the little like, creatures attack one another and stuff. Like, they have a whole, like, little life. But, yeah, this is a guy who would, like, read a magazine. I yeah, dude, I wonder... I wonder and he's a scientist, so he probably has stuff he wants to do. Or yeah. was a scientist. And and since he is capable of conscious thought, and he's always there, just because he can't, you can't see him and he can't interact with you, it doesn't mean that he's somehow vanished. You were lit- It's like holding a blacklight. Up to a gross stain, and all of a sudden you can see it. It's that stain was always there. It's just now you can fucking see it. So you need to spray luminol on the blood before you can see it. Okay, well, you but know, yeah, and I think that he's probably transdimensional, so he's not just standing there waiting. <laughs> I just think that he is. I, I it, where he was just about to like put his hands on people, and he's like, "Nah, it is I, the gooey Doctor Pretorius," and then they turn it off, and he's like. Oh. I'll just wait here then. And then he just like sits down. And he's like, oh, when are they going to turn that machine on again? I'm so bored, you guys. He could or he could be transdimensional and go somewhere else. I don't know. Now, this time, Dr. Uh, Pretorius puts his hands on Dr. McMichaels, tears her nightgown, uh, which wasn't doing her any favors because it looked like she was wrapped up in a curtain. And then... <laughs> They can't seem to turn the machine off because uh, even though Crawford eventually goes up there, no, uh, like uh, like being instantly woken up when that machine is on, because his pineal gland, I guess, yeah, like, his pineal gland's been uh, starts to swell. I guess, yeah, and... it's definitely being activated, <clears throat> overactivated by his presence in the field of this machine numerous times, right? So he's in tune with it, and he's also fucking terrorized by the goddamn thing. So as soon as it turns on, he's like, "Oh shit." Yeah. Now, he can't do anything. He can't seem to rescue her because uh, Dr. Pretorius implies that if he makes one move towards the panel, he'll kill her. And there's no reason to believe that he won't do that. So, Which is dumb to me because if he would have just turned the machine off, he'd disappear. Yeah. Whatever. It, it, you're creating... Um, he hesitated for that one split second. Yeah. It's like you're creating things for the characters to do. And this time they just said, well, I'm going to go to the fuse box downstairs. It's weird because um, Dr. Pretorius makes no move to like try to stop that action whatsoever. Maybe he knows that when him and Bubba go downstairs, there's going to be a giant fucking worm in there. His pets are down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The basement is full of water. There's a giant fucking worm. It's fucking really cool. I like it a lot. Um, like a sandworm, kind of. Kind of, kind of like a sandworm. Like a lamprey sandworm. Yeah, a, a leech. It looks a big leech with teeth. It's, yeah. You know, something like that. Anyway, so Crawford gets fucking swallowed by the thing, and Bubba like stabs it with a kitchen knife a couple times. But Bubba eventually gets his hands around the cords and uh, pulls that power goes out. And Thank God the water disappears because you don't want to mix electricity and water. That's one thing I do know. I'm no scientist, but that's one thing I do know. The unfortunate thing now is the fact that, well, what happens to your eyebrows and hair when you get sucked into this worm as I guess he eats it, partially it's digests like it all. like acid, yeah. Yeah, so now Crawford looks ridiculous. 
I think he looks no. He looks all right. He's not a bad look for him. Maybe not. But it's definitely different, and definitely sets you into the feel <clears throat> of the other. While the UV light and the other dimension creatures aren't floating around you and stuff, you've got this constant reminder now in real life that these things definitely exist because him having no hair looks odd to us. Mm -hmm. So we have that constant reminder of that other dimension that's lurking around us now. So it's a good visual reminder anyway, as far as the narrative goes, I think. His hairlessness. He looks alien and he does abused. Look a little alien. alien and abused. Yeah. Well, well, they'll certainly never turn the machine on again. It's it's over. It's over. With. No, she's pissed too because she basically got felt up almost like she got sexually assaulted by this yeah. weird looking melty goo Play-Doh monster man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she pulls out all of the cords and she is angry. And in one way, I was like, you know what? You knew he was a predatory person he'd already hit on you in the slimiest fucking way and he was covered in slime when he did it did you need another <laughs> visual clue um you saw Telinka's reaction to the man as much as me and west defend his snm lifestyle crawford maybe was shedding light on his predatory nature now she had willingly gone up there and made out with the machine for five minutes and turned it on and had invited that sort of behavior. He'd already, you know, Pretorius made no mystery of the fact what he wanted to do with her and what the ultimate goal was, was to meld everyone's minds. So I I feel bad for her and I can understand her trauma, but at the same time, like, well, you were asking for it, you weird scientist, psychoanalyst, whatever you are, lady. Mm Mm-hmm. She is pissed, and she disables a machine yet again. Mm-hmm. This time it doesn't seem like it's ever going to come back on, and they're just, they're all out of there, except poor Crawford is a little fucked up right now, and mm-hmm. he needs to stay in bed for a little bit. She definitely is still under the influence of this machine. Her her time, she definitely seems to be the most vulnerable to it. Um, uh, Bubba seems to be fighting with his nature here, but he definitely seems a lot more stoic and a lot more practical about things that we need to get out of this house. He's not actually going out of the house, but he does actually pack up the van, and then while he's ready to go, um, <laughs> a transformation that Janet from Rocky Horror would be proud of. Like, she gets into some costuming and is just very aroused by all the SNM stuff that's around her. Because for some reason, in this house that's probably conservatively, I'm going to say it's a five-bedroom house, Yeah. Um, they're just like, oh, my Crawford's so hurt and he's weak, he needs to rest. Put him in the sex dungeon. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah. It's nice and relaxing. It's well-lit. It's comfortable. Mm-hmm. You got some leopard print blankets <clears throat> and stuff to cozy up with. Yeah, the sex dungeon. That's exactly where they should be. Well... That's where she sees leather and rubs on her skin and then starts rubbing her body. And then she says, why am I rubbing myself in a world where I have someone else to rub myself against in this? So she gets dressed up and in her SNM gear. It's not hers, but it fits perfectly. Which is disgusting. Who knows who wore it last, where it came from, if it was cleaned properly. That is like absolutely fucking gross to me. Although it is a cute outfit. She looks great in it. Um, yeah, the gauntlets are really cool. I like them. But, oh, it's so gross to put that on. So she's in, they're interrupted while there. He's unconscious, and she's doing her Which thing. Which is so unfair. It's super unfair, and it's very uh, creepy and weird. And then Bubba comes in, and then she just like, 
powerful Bubba. Big old Bubba. And he is having none of it. Yeah. And he's just like, you ask him for it. Grabbing her. But then he gets control of himself and says, look at yourself. Look what you've become. Leather. Yeah, which is like, that clip could be taken so out of context. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you got this girl who's dressed in S&M gear and you're showing herself in a mirror and screaming at her. Is this you? <laughs> like, it's so sad if you take it out of context. It's so weird. She can't seem, she doesn't really have like a way to verbalize exactly what's going on. But she definitely has a little breakdown there and admits basically like she doesn't know anymore. Yeah, she doesn't know. She doesn't know if this is her. She doesn't know if this is turning her into something or if this is heightening something that was already there. It's so very Belasco. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, <laughs> the shit is about to hit the fan, so to speak. As the machine seems to activate on its own, the uh, you would imagine Pretorius somehow has a small amount of power to manipulate things in this world. Perhaps they've turned on the machine and left it on too many times. Yeah, and the more power he gets, the more uh, ability he has to cross over on his own. Mm-hmm. Or the machine itself is sentient, perhaps? It's possible. There's a lot of explanations, but the machine does turn back on, and this is a doozy. Mm-hmm. Because now uh, Pretorius is very much like a ooey-gooey transformation, a big elongated head and a big flesh sack. Looks like a dick and balls, honestly. <laughs> but, and and while, and while they go up there to try to deactivate the machine, Crawford and um, McMichaels, Dr. McMichaels, get swarmed by these, what would you call them? Like fucking... Grape nuts? Grape nuts or something. It looks like cereal being it, blown it, around it, in a fan. It does look like, or a little, or like the thing that's inside beanbag chairs, like those little styrofoam pellets mm-hmm, and shit. Mm-hmm. Now, Bubba... It's supposed to be like wasps or bees or something Bubba like that. tries several times to destroy the machine. Just straight up destroy it. Yeah. It seems to be able to protect itself with lightning blasts now. Um, so he can't, he can't shoot at it. His gun gets taken away from him. He can't... Hit it with an axe or anything. He gets blasted <clears> back. Yeah. And he seems to be fighting through the pain a little bit and... Well, he's an ex-footballer, so he's like this—he is this huge cop, right? Yeah, so, he's a big tough dude, like the exact dude. And he's that mostly you... impervious to this sexy vibe mm-hmm. in the field of the resonator. So he's like the number one man for the job of destroying the fucking thing, right? Mm-hmm. But he's trying really hard. Yeah, and to no avail, unfortunately. Now, he basically gets uh, th- these little pellets that are flying around seem to be hurting. Crawford. Like every other creature around the Resonator. It's yeah. It's like no different than the little jellyfish with the teeth in their butts. So you can imagine these things are almost like schools of piranha. piranha. Yeah. Just really, just really shredding things up. And, well, for some reason when Bubba puts his flashlight on it, it gets all of their attention. And they all immediately attack Bubba when he throws his flashlight away and then the light shines on his face and then these things just fucking go towards that light and they fucking swarm around swarm around him now Crawford and McMichaels eventually do get uh, the machine off briefly and that is just long enough to see what's left of poor Bubba and it is exactly like a prana attack he has been stripped pretty much to the bone Mm-hmm. It's a very good effect too. I like that a lot. It's his last dying breath. You get to see him move a little tiny bit. And he's just basically a mod out rib cage. Basically, then he dies, and the machine gets turned back on. We're not done with Pretorius yet. And then Pretorius uh, seems to encourage this pineal growth in Crawford. It seems like we've seen his head swell before, and he's lacking hair now, so his head seems very pronounced. And this. What would you call it? Like a tentacle, an antenna, antenna? 
basically it basically is that's sort of like the what the look of a pineal gland is inside of you so if you can picture this thing coming up from your like, posterior artery that feeds up into your brain it basically feeds right into the pineal gland where it sits behind the pituitary gland right in the very center of your brain behind your eyes and everything right um it is basically like this little weird little worm face looking node thing with uh, a big long tentacly thing not unlike an eyeball with its optical nerves right mm -hmm. we all know what that is thanks to horror films yeah <laughs> um the pineal gland is a rudimentary atrophied photosensitive gland of some sort so it was maybe at one point capable of sight so mm -hmm. it, it looking like an eyeball of some sort so it is like this weird little red glandular worm-headed little eyeball looking thing ish that sticks out so it's basically what it's supposed to look like and it basically does look like what the pineal gland would look like if it was twice the size enlarged and crawled upward behind your eyes and out your quote-unquote third eye mm -hmm. so pineal gland has been called the seat of the soul since like the 1600s so mm -hmm. that is not completely outside of our pseudoscience thought it makes everything look like a dire straits video basically well they didn't have the right sort of tack to like <laughs> layer a good camera shot with this computerized sort of like heat seeking looking i don't know what you would call that color yeah it's kind it's like of color mapping kind of yeah. weird look kind of reminds me a little well mostly reminds me of a dire straits video kind of reminds me of the pov shots from predator kind of yeah 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 just digital rainbowy yeah which is funny because like his first reaction to being able to see through his pineal gland is oh it's so beautiful and i'm like no it's, it's not it's like it's ultra low res 80s <laughs> tech. everything's orange and blue that is so not that beautiful at all it's the most horrible colors known to man but they this time mcmichaels manages to use the fire extinguisher to cover the machine which d at least it doesn't allow it to function properly. The machine finally shuts down. And, well, you have Dr. Pretorius, the ooey-gooey version, gone. Bubba is dead. And what would you say? Crawford has got this fucking antenna coming out of his head. And that doesn't really seem to be going anywhere. That is so gross looking, though. It is super gross. He's basically got, like, this gross hole in his head. And every time I was looking at it, I was like, oh, I kept wanting to touch my own head. Just like, oh, enough of the hole in your head. So gross. But cut to back to the uh, asylum where they're, like, trying to treat him, I guess. They're trying to pick up the pieces. Dr. McMichaels is in a lot of fucking trouble because not only, not only Lydia did she get someone killed and now... The DA is going to be all over the police. Not only did she make a man who was, they thought to be insane, past the brink of insanity and have this weird deformation on his face. Not only all of that death, mayhem, destruction. Madness. Madness. He's dressed like a fucking whore. I know, right? I can't it's believe... so slut-shaming. It's I so horrible. I can't fucking believe it. I can't believe that, like, the doctor's crutch that she is leaning on is the fact that she is dressed in the SNM gear. It's like, well, look at her. Look at her. Look how you're dressed. And it's so I horrible, can't. but it is so, what, 1986. Oh, my God. Like, it's so ridiculous to me that that... Like, oh, my... <laughs> 
Considering everything that's happened. That was back then when, you know, a short skirt was the reason you got raped. You it's were insane. asking it's for it. Absolutely. It's insane. a horrible thought. And that's the way people thought back then, though. So, like, of course, she is going to be fucking shamed because of what she's wearing. And it is absurd to us now. It's <laughs> And it's doubly absurd in this house. So, like, of course it strikes us. It's like triple layers of absurdity. And it's noticeable. Where back then in 1986, it wouldn't be noticeable. Probably the first time I ever watched this film was probably like a 1992, 3, 4, somewhere in there. Um, it probably didn't strike that much of a chord with me either except that i was like oh i like her outfit you know whereas now it's like well you're downplaying all of these really really horrible things to slut shame this girl and now you're going to terrorize her because she's hotter than you yeah it's crazy to me it's crazy it jumped for me like I saw this movie years ago and it didn't jump for me. I guess like I, like I was younger and I was like, oh, I guess like they don't believe her because look how she's dressed. Like that's a valid reason. Like how someone's dressed should determine how believable they are to you. Um, Which is hilarious. There's even a scene in this where I was like, oh my God, this is just like every office lady's complaint in the year 2000, 2000 and beyond because she's like trying to say something very serious to him about saving their lives. And he's like, you're so beautiful. <laughs> and it's like, I've heard the same sort of complaint and had the same sort of complaint. Like I was trying to explain this fucking shit to this guy, but he kept looking at my tits. You know, it's the same sort of problem that she's having when telling Gus is totally taken over by his enlarged, throbbing, red, sexy pineal gland. That's sticking straight at you. Vengeance. Out of his forehead? So not sexy. But yeah, he gets really taken over by this at this point. Because he's like out of it at the hospital for a while. But it starts like pulsing through his head there too. Mm -hmm. He's not even anywhere near the resonator. But he has been so activated by it that mm -hmm. it's definitely taken over his psyche. Mm -hmm. In the same way that Dr. Pretorius exists as this higher being in that dimension, it's safe to say that Crawford is another version probably the um the uh the the uh beta version of whatever pretorius is in the other dimension like you could see crawford is just still in our dimension and probably evolving if left to his own devices into something not not of this world but yeah. anchored in it which is far more of a lovecraftian theme to mm -hmm. me than the tentacles and body horror and mm -hmm. stuff like that now, yeah, because I, I doubt, uh, like, uh, when it gets to the end, and we'll get to it, um, uh, it really is like a complete and utter rebirth. Mm -hmm. But um, now, th this, this, this is where the movie, I have to say, it, it, this is the least interesting section of the flick to me. Because it kind of degenerates, into my opinion, into something that I've seen a million times. Where... The Keystone Cops for a minute? That part? No, it's not the Keystone Cops. It's just, I'm eating brains. Oh, that. I like that. <laughs> I don't know. Like, to me, like, for, I thought it was interesting because... Of, the whole escape, to me, seems contrived. But, like, the eating brains, I, I do enjoy. The escape is one thing. I mean, you have... I don't want to spend too much time on it because, frankly, it's boring to me. Yeah. But it, they I escape. Did, I did have a point with the eating brains where the doctor is being fucking given electroshock therapy totally unnecessary electro electroshock therapy mm -hmm. and where they kind of vilify electroshock therapy in my opinion and make it out to be something way more heinous and horrible than it actually is but um 
she is dressed like a floozy in the mind of the other doctor. So she gets electroshock therapy. This is dude eating brains and he gets, oh, they're there. You know, they'll make you sick. That's her reaction to a guy eating brains. Yeah, he, he breaks into his, um, his pineal gland when it becomes activated. And when I say activated, I mean when it sticks out of his head and starts like feeling around. It's like brain-seeking. Yeah, it wants brains. He wants to eat brains. And his uh, Dire Straits POV enables him to see brains through walls and through skulls even. So he's eating this, and when he comes to his senses, he's like, oh, it's delicious. When he comes to his senses, he can't believe what he's doing. So he's wrestling with when this thing is active and when it's not active. When it's inside of his head, he is the normal version of himself that he was at the start of the movie. When it's out, he is a completely different being, and all he really wants to do is eat brains. And I was just like, meh. We're kind of falling into zombie territory to me, and it's just... In a way, unless you're really sold on the whole pineal gland scene, what he wants is more, like, melatonin or something. No, no, yeah, I, I totally yeah. get it. Like, I get it. It's just my personal... But it does, yeah, it does devolve sort of into zombie territory. But for, for, like, for, like, five minutes, though. It's, it's, it's just for five minutes. Where he, and I will give him this. This is the most unique and least efficient way I've ever seen anyone try to eat brains in my entire fucking life. If you were just like, how are you going to get to someone's brains? Well, I'd fucking crack the skull. One of the things that people don't really talk about too much is how hard a human skull is. So it's not really something... When I see people like, I'm going to bite through this skull, I'm like, man, would the teeth go through that? Or would you break your teeth off on someone's skull? I don't know. Um, I just wrote a scene in the uh, in something I'm writing right now where somebody gets a little aggravated not being able to get to a brain fast enough and they just crack the skull on the floor like a coconut. That's what you would have to do. That, that's, what I would, that's what I would assume. Yeah. This motherfucker bites their eye out and tries to like suck their brain out through the eye socket i've never seen anything like it that would be the quickest way to the pineal gland for sure because it's like basically right there Mm. well it's fucking weird to me and so that scene (laughs) yeah like he 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 kills the doctor that's a huge bitch fucking dr mcmichaels gets out of her restraints um he hijacks an ambulance after killing two um Orderlies? Orderlies, basically, yeah. Yeah. Well, a, Leaving a, the drunk guy on the gurney going, yeah. he had a snake coming out of his a head. snake coming out of his head. And they, he wants to get back to... Um, why does he want to get back to the house? I guess to destroy the machine or something? Make out with Pretorius? I don't know exactly why he wants to go back there. Maybe he's just following Dr. McMichaels because she's gone back there to destroy the machine. So maybe he's trying to stop her? It's possible. Anyways. Because he did see her take off because he's calling oh. after her. That's true. So either that or he maybe he just wants to make out with her. I just think that he just wants to make out with everybody in their eyeballs. Yeah, well, you know, when they get back to the house and they turn on, they activate the machine again. It's just like the machine just won't stop activating. He has her wrapped up and he gets completely enthralled and distracted. And she does try to say that we need to destroy the machine and we need to do this and we need to do that. And this is really serious. And You're so beautiful. You're so beautiful. And then she does what I think a lot of people have wanted to do in their life. Just bite someone's pineal gland right off. Yes, I can totally relate to that. And it's the best move ever. And I like that scene a lot, actually. It Me looks too. awfully painful. Mm-hmm. Dr. Pretorius in this scene, when he enters the scene, because once this gland has been removed, it seems that Crawford is back to his normal self. Dr. Pretorius has a lot of uh, whispering dialogue about um, love and and uh, knowing someone's most intimate. The only intimate way that you can know people 
is by sharing their mind and that is the highest calling of uh, pleasure and love and connectivity is just to absorb each other and just exist in this thing this one big sort of pool of consciousness together and he's not like i mean yeah perhaps in his fleshy man self pretorius might have just been like i like ladies and i like to do uh so i have some kinky bedroom habits and that's kind of my deal but this version of him is like completely pansexual it doesn't really like, at this point yeah because yeah because because like... because um he's he's like oh i'll get you i'll get you crawford it doesn't i don't <laughs> care that you're a dude this is working for me. Yeah. Gooey Pretorius. Yeah, at that point he doesn't care. He is pansexual and he wants to just transcend this realm anyway. Mm -hmm. And he just is, it is a sensual process for him now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's cool. I like the dialogue quite a bit um, from him. I like humans are such easy prey. Humans are such easy prey, yeah. Way earlier in the film. That's about his best line. Yeah. I find a lot of his dialogue personally is just a little bit like blah blah love blah blah melding blah blah mind i like that shit though he sounds like a fucking doped up uh, love guru to me Mm -hmm. so or or like if you were just gonna like some weird hippie commune and like someone was talking about like psychedelics and and how to like merge our consciousness and like drive a freak bus into the stratosphere which is totally like (laughs) 30-year-old making a movie in 1986. That's exactly <laughs> where that comes from, too. But I, it's just so not for me. But everything else enveloping that, I do really enjoy. Yeah. Now, Pretorius has several levels of transformation. I think the when, he's, when he wants to kiss somebody, kiss the way he eat their head, mm-hmm. and eat their brain specifically, and then he absorbs their consciousness fully. Uh, I think that's what the the end game is. I would say that this thing that he turns into, because the first time where he bites Dr. McMichael's head a few times before that, um, when you think he's going to kill her, just before he vanishes, his head changes into this thing. It's like beak-like, almost like has a little bit of look, almost like a like a skin chicken type look to him. Like it doesn't really, not not so bird-like, but it kind of evokes like a, bir- a bird or a worm to me or something like that. That seems to be, in my opinion, like his most correct form because he takes that specific form a couple of times in yeah, the movie. Yeah, but he devolves to entirely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not and, unlike his um, weird sandworm-looking friend in the basement. Yeah, and by the time he gets to, uh, by the time Crawford gets away from him and lures him away, because that's the idea, is like he wanted to, uh, McMichael said that she was going to distract him while you destroy the machine. And he mocks her saying, you are very distracting, but, you know, he's not going to, you know, he's not going to play that game anymore. He's got all these old leftover human pickup lines. It's the only way he can communicate anymore. (laughs) That's like, I communicate only with pickup lines. Yeah, that's what it strikes me as. (laughs) That'd be amazing. (laughs) When you devolve entirely into a pool of gelatinous pink goo, the only things you can say are the things you thought and said most often i guess so it would be for him pick up lines pick up lines i like it now <laughs> i wonder what i'd say when i'm a pile of gelatinous goo probably stab you on the temple <laughs> slit your fucking throat <laughs> yeah probably <laughs> probably i do not give a shit i do not give a shit i do not give a shit what the fuck like I care. I'm going to stab him in the temple. Yeah, that's pretty much my I feel like you were dialogue. just laughing into schizophrenic shock right now. Just <laughs> No, there's no such thing as schizophrenic shock. But yeah, 
that would probably be like a dementia, yeah, sort of. But that's probably, yeah, if you're going to say the things you said most often, whereas that's what I think the drive is for Pretorius right now. I think that's his entire motivation is that he's just lapsed into this broken record of things that he used to say, which just happened to be pickup lines. It works for him. Now, he grows some wings and he fucking follows uh, Crawford down the stairs and eats his head real good. Twists that motherfucker right off. Yeah. McMichaels discovers the body. Doesn't, uh, it, like, it's weird to me because like, it seemed to be almost like Crawford wanted him to do it understood what was going to happen maybe he did yeah because he was kind of like leading him away as a distraction knowing mm-hmm. that he could probably be easily overpowered yeah he's down one p- pineal gland now so he's probably not feeling too hot yeah yeah yeah. that's where most of the human strength comes from well it's the thing that sort of regulates all your bodily functions between it the pituitary and the hypothalamus so like i don't see how he could really be functioning at all but uh okay it was the olden days it's probably really confused about day for night and his own sexuality right now. <laughs> so, yeah. But he is basically sacrificing himself at that point. So, yeah. It was the olden days. <laughs> sure. But, no, he has, he has pretty much sacrificed himself for her safety at that moment. But she it doesn't really work entirely because she tries to get down the stairs. So she fucking fights this stupid thing. that it, it, like She's running up down. She goes back up the stairs because I guess she's going to try to destroy the machine. Homeboy just fucking turns into just like so many tentacles and seems to be able to pull her from all directions. His tentacles can kind of like, like he can manipulate them pretty well. So like he, he she's. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of Freddy Krueger tongues in a way. Yeah. When she gets back to the, back to the room, the laboratory where this machine is happening and it won't stop happening, then we think that it might be too late for her because, oh shit, Pretorius is there. He's got her, got her in his fucking neon claws. They're not neon. His clutchy tentacly claws. His clutchy tentacly claws. And then all of a sudden, ripping forth from his body is now the fully formed, the restored Crawford. With hair and With hair everything. and eyebrows. The, the eyebrow, like Him having no hair is one thing. Him having no eyebrows was really weird to me. Like I he, think I've grown so used to people I know having no eyebrows that it didn't really... If he would have had eyebrows and no hair, that would have been weird. There was a TV show where this guy's hairstyle was bald, eyebrows, sideburns. Oh, weird. That's <laughs> weird to me. Fuck, what was it called? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, so. I think this is one of the coolest scenes. And of course, right away, that's the first thing that I noticed is his hair is back. But like you said, it's because it's actually him, right? Mm. Um, being fully reborn and restored, which mm. is kind of an awesome scene. It doesn't really last. But I like that he breaks forth a couple of times. He's trying really hard Mm -hmm. to cross back over slash destroy Pretorius. Pretorius, thinking that he could absorb this person into himself, didn't really anticipate Crawford being able to fight back and and reject... And not and to reconstitute himself with Pretorius's body, just like most toxic relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, the instigators never think that the other person won't want to be fully absorbed into their void of gelatinous goo and meaninglessness and hatred. Um, fucking write that in a profile on Tinder, folks. Uh, you can have a, a really good scene that I wish they had drawn out a little bit more between characters like this, where they are fighting against themselves. I feel like, yeah. I, I feel like I wanted to spend more time with it. Maybe have some more dialogue between the two characters 
because uh, again, when this would have been dialogue that I probably could have sucked my teeth into far more than the hippie love guru stuff that was sort of prevalent from the middle on. Mm-hmm. The idea of um, uh, of of these two people, like one person being all consumed by we'll say negative aspects of their life and another person finding a reason to hold on and not be consumed by the negative aspects of their life. That it is possible. It is possible to be these beings, to have these powers and to be a better person. Yeah. Or to maintain yourself. So it could show Pretorius the inherent weakness in his own personality that he became so consumed by these things. Well, I know what the weakness is in his personality. Pickup lines? No. The fact that he couldn't perform in bed oh shit wait a second yeah this is all goes back to belasco again for me wait a second are you telling me that pretorius was a little bit of a wet noodle this was small man syndrome oh no this is what he had i don't know exactly because with the final showdown where you're saying this scene could have been longer it could have had more powerful dialogue. Mm-hmm. What we do get, as far as powerful dialogue, is the reason why you are acting like this, Pretorius, is because you couldn't sexually satisfy women. <laughs> That's basically what we get tossed out by. I have a sneaking us. suspicion that when the lid gets blown up, blown open about my dark life, that people are just going to know that it's because I couldn't satisfy women sexually. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think that that's the lid that will be blown off your life. <laughs> oh, God. I hope it's not something worse than that. It's sort of like the lid getting blown off Lovecraft being so repulsed by sexuality when his wife was like, no, no, he, he didn't mind sex. We had no okay. If somebody explained, if someone described my sexual relationship with them as satisfactory, I would be mortified. Because to me, it's satisfactory is like when you get a diploma and you're just like, like, it's like we hereby recognize West Knife has performed all requirements necessary <laughs> to get this thing. I'm like, oh come on, it can't, you can't just be like, it's good. I'm not even asking for a fucking banner. Just like, no, it was good, satisfactory. Well, satisfactory means good. Nah, it's all how you say things. Satisfactory. Well, I don't know how she said it because I read it. No, it's like the, it's the word. She could have said it and wiggled her eyebrows. <laughs> Does that make you feel better? Satis- no, it doesn't. Well, maybe. But but to me, satisfactory is a very, um, I don't know. I feel like if you just said, it was good. As opposed to satisfactory seems like you're lying to me. I don't think it really matters to anyone. It's none of anyone's business anyway. So her answer is really moot. It wouldn't really have any meaning here or there. And I don't think that on your deathbed, people are going to be describing you in terms of your sex life. I fucking hope they do. I <laughs> hope they do. Yeah. Okay. Why wouldn't I want that? I don't have a lot going for me, Lydia. You wouldn't want them to remember you for your amazing contribution to the comic world or podcastia? No. No, that's fine. They could just say that I was a good lay. Okay. I'll see that they do. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, it's sort of a, like a weird revelation. And there's been a few like fiction novels um I'm trying to remember there was one recently that i'd read and sort of like the the 
thing, the big reveal, was that the guy was three inches shorter than he passed himself off as, and he was horrible in bed. And I've always just been like, why is that such a thing? Why does that affect people so much? I think people need to take a fucking page out of the, you know, asexual or gray asexual lifestyle and not place so much fucking importance on that. And maybe they wouldn't become hyper-obsessed, world-destroying, madness-creating machine builders. Maybe. Or they wouldn't be tearing back and forth in front of my house on Harley Davidson's 24 fucking 7 and making all kinds of noise. Oh, is that what that is? Yeah. Hmm. It's like uh, Sons of Anarchy out there. And if you believe the common idea that it all comes down to them compensating for something, it's all small man syndrome, quote unquote. So that is what Pretorius was suffering from. Midlife crisis. Instead of buying a Corvette, he had a sex dungeon and a resonator. When these guys fight against each other... They start off, well, I mean, Dr. Pretorius is always going to be kind of like the gooey-gooey version that he is, because that's pretty much what he is these days. Yeah, he can't, like, return to form. Crawford manages to look human for a time, but then it basically comes... (laughs) I like the idea of them being, like, a squabbling couple at this point, because it comes to the point where they're literally just two heads biting at each other, (laughs) which which to me is kind of the end game for an old married couple that really hate each other, I just kind of envision them as just this amorphous blob of meat. It's like the antithesis to the film The Notebook. Yeah, exactly. You're just this amorphous blob of meat with two skeletal heads just fucking biting at each other. Yeah. yeah. The end. <laughs> <laughs> but he manages, uh, the what I would assume is the Crawford one manages to turn his head away from Pretorius, who seems to be just, like, freaking the fuck out at this point, and gnaw at the arm, tentacle arm thing that is still latched onto Dr. McMichaels. She is freed by that, and then she manages to just... Oh, I, we forgot to mention that she planted a bomb there, like Wiley Coyote. Oh, yeah. Plot twist. Plot twist. It was a Wiley Coyote-looking bomb. Like, an accurate-looking bomb and everything, but it was set for five whole minutes. So mm-hmm. we've been counting down in our minds all while this battle's going on. Mm-hmm. And by the time she just, just makes it away, mm-hmm. there's, like, two seconds left on the clock, or minus two seconds, if you were counting along at home. <laughs> <laughs> like you were? Yeah. And she jumps out the window. The entire fucking place explodes. Well, the entire roof area explodes. Seemed to be a lot, enough dynamite to level that entire house, but because um, I mean, a house isn't made to withstand it's like six. Well, it's not going to blast like in three hundred sixty degrees. The things are going to blast left and right, right? So yeah. she's basically created a shear, and she's going to like shear the attic off the rest of the house. And things will catch fire. And Fair enough. So, yeah, I think she, that's what she was going for. No, she jumps down off the second level. And this is, like, one of the, probably the most accurate, I just jumped off the second story of a house ever. Because, man, her fucking leg is so broken. I saw an injury like that at a football game once. So, yeah. yeah. And it is. Thank God, finally, somebody jumped out of a second story window and fucking broke a leg. Like, like her knee is fucking in pieces. Yeah. Like, she will never walk properly again like probably not no not with medical science the way it was in 86 i know lots of people with a hobble or a limp from having shit destroyed yeah like her look at her kneecap was hanging by a thread so she's fucked yeah you can replace that with metal though it's just a kneecap um they have a a group of people 
gather around her. Our neighbor lady is back. Yeah. Bunny Summers. Bunny Summers is back with her dog. And she's like, I called the fire department. I'm like, thanks. And then she sees her leg and she's like, I've just seen this leg now. You look like you might need some more help. Yeah. Um, and then Dr. McMichaels looks at her sort of sort of like out of it. And then she just starts to scream laugh, as I'll call it. And she just laughs. She's mad. She's she's, she's seen it. Yeah. She's gazed into madness. And now she's crazy, I guess. And we out. And her last words are, he ate him. He ate him. Yeah. I thought it would be something really like, they are coming or they came. Because I, I like thought she earlier. was they came yeah. from beyond. <laughs> I know, right? That's sort of what I, with the waggling fingers and everything. Like, that's <laughs> sort of what I expected. To match her waggling eyebrows. Yeah. But he ate him, which is, okay, that's exactly what happened. At least kind of, we're kind of back to the same spot that Crawford was at at the beginning of the movie yeah. when he left the house. And he just said, it ate his head. Yeah. So like a gingerbread man. Like a gingerbread. So we're kind of back to that. Yeah. Where the only thing you can really do is is verbalize that this horrific thing happened. It's somewhat not unlike the end of the original short story. Where although the narrator, the unnamed narrator, isn't in a mental institution. And they aren't like scream laughing mad. They do live in fear that those creatures they've seen from beyond are around us at any time and that that could cross over again at any time. And I would live in fear if I were in the position of that person that somebody else would develop this because we do consider the brain as one of our final frontiers. We still don't know what so much of the brain actually does or other subtle mechanisms behind things we think we understand. So I would, if in that position of the narrator definitely live in fear that somebody else would be tinkering with this sort of thing again and awaken those things that are around us all the time because you can't describe it to somebody without sounding completely off your fucking rocker unless of course you're a christian because then it's angels and demons everyone believes in those being around us all the time right yeah but it is scary when you think about it a little less scary when you're looking at like mountains of play-doh threatening to kiss you I'm glad that they make it a little bit, a little bit absurd that way. Well, I mean, the idea to me is absolutely absurd. So I don't like. I, I even if they presented it to me as seriously as possible, this is not the type of movie that has a premise where I would be staring off into a corner and wondering if there's like a. I think cosmic... the only person that could do that to you is Cronenberg. If Cronenberg had made this film, you'd probably be like, "Oh fuck!" Oh fuck! I is... can feel the pulsing in my pineal gland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it's about to activate I'm like a sleeper agent. Yeah, full watching of like lines. something like, um, and it's not entirely like this, but it's the same sort of like feeling that you'd be going for if you're going to take a movie like this very, very seriously or tell a story like this very, very seriously. As serious as like if you read Lovecraft in a very serious frame of mind. It, it's fucking terrifying. This particular story is quite terrifying, actually. Um, but then you have the people who just replace most every second word with the word spooky when you read Lovecraft. It makes it hilarious. But um, <laughs> in Cronenberg's, like, Dead Ringers, mm -hmm. like, about three quarters of the way through there, you start wondering about your own physiology. Like, when body horror is really, really working, right? So, although... From Beyond is a body horror film. Mm -hmm, absolutely. It doesn't make you question your very anatomical being mm. the way that something like a Cronenberg film would. Mm. 
specifically for women specifically dead ringers yes yeah you start wondering how many wombs you fucking have that's a fucked up thing to wonder when you don't have an x-ray machine handy it doesn't quite do that you don't start wondering about your pineal gland and its function no it just made me touch my head a lot because it was making me <laughs> uncomfortable seeing like a hole in a guy's head because i was just like you could get anything in there yeah right like like i just feel like don't lie down like you could get like dust or dirt or fuck god help you salt yeah like, <laughs> imagine how that feels salt in your brain Ugh. horrible sort of reminds me a little bit of that uh the loved ones with the holes in the head and pouring like yeah but like somehow that was less gross to me even though that was pretty gross that was a good movie yeah but it wasn't like hanging out and oozing and you weren't like the people weren't functioning and talking to you it was like whipping around and shit yeah or when the doctor was trying to pull it out with a little tiny forceps (laughs) it's playing it was like a -a whack-a-mole thing yeah it was like a -a whack-a-mole but i couldn't imagine like well once you grab onto it what do you plan on fucking doing with it that's a good point you know pull on that you kill a guy jesus you don't pull things out of people's brains (laughs) willy-nilly she's like i'm a doctor you're not yeah, and she'd probably give me shit because I'm wearing a fucking cleavage-showing shirt. And then she'd give me electroshock. <laughs> Bitch. <sighs> what do we got next for him? Creep show. Oh. Yeah, sounds like fun. You're going to watch like 7,000 films and have the longest podcast ever. <laughs> It'll probably be a pretty chunky one. It gets to combine all of my favorite stuff. Comic books, horror. Stephen King. Stephen King. For me. <laughs> Leslie Nielsen? Leslie Nielsen? <laughs> Love Leslie Nielsen. You kidding me? Yeah, I'll be looking forward to that. Some of the upcoming episodes are going to be, some of them pre-recorded, where it's actually con season and I have vacation where I'm visiting family. So you can play along at home and try and guess which ones we're recording live and which ones we're not recording live. <laughs> That's the funnest game. Yeah, but we probably won't sit down with one another till like June. Oh my God. Yeah. Are you going to be okay? Are you going to be okay without me? Totally, I'm going to record some dead cells. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, I mean, no, I was so totally miss the holiday. I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. Well, I'll tell you this much. I'm going to just sit there for three weeks and wonder how the fuck I come here every Saturday when I could be having so much more fun out there in the big wide world. Well, not every single weekend is Anime North. I have other conventions to go to, too. And on that note, I'm Wes Knight. And I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air. <laughs>